Good morning, church. Um, you know, um, one of the things that um, that I was uh, kind of contemplating or thinking as I was driving to church this morning um, is about the community. Um, you know, um, those of you guys who are not kind of connected to our church, um, you guys just, just come and kind of listen and just go. I, I really besiege uh, you to really connect uh, to our community because uh, for the past uh, couple of weeks, um, I, I don't think I could have um, endured what I was going through uh, without some of the people uh, here at this community. Uh, and um, right now, um, you probably know that um, at least one person who's really going through some difficult time, um, and, and they're going through the wilderness, uh, they're going through some desert places, and you know. And um, at the end of the service today, um, if you are happen to be next to that person, um, I, I would really want you to go and reach out and there's going to be a time of prayer, but you know, um, it really is so vital that 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 we are connected uh, to this body, and I, I think that's exactly uh, what God has intended for us. Uh, as, as all of you guys, it's not by coincidence that that we are here. And in two weeks, we're all going to move to 7900 Mountain Boulevard. And so I just want to ask you guys to be connected, be mindful. And if you know some people who are going through some difficult times, to reach out. And so right now, I want to just pray as before we actually go into the Word of God for that specific prayer request. So let's pray. Father God, this morning... As we hear and as we um, witness um, the rain, as Rick just mentioned, the promise uh, of the rainbow. And yet, Father God, it's a reminder that, that it's so refreshing for us to realize that you're, you're there and we're here. And yet, Father God, sometimes we lose that kind of, you know, are, are you here with me? And I just feel like this morning, as we go into the Word, as we are connected to this community, that, Lord, you are in the midst of all our circumstances, all our difficulties. And, Father God, those of us who are going through the wilderness difficulties, dealing with our parents or, or, or sisters or, or friends, uh, I just pray, Father, Lord, that would you just reassure us that, that you are in the midst of all this? And this morning as we open up the Bibles and as our hearts to the book of Joshua, would you help us to understand more about your character, your nature, and your ultimate purpose, power, and plan for our lives? And Father God, what we desire the most is to worship you in spirit and in the truth. And as you're about to reveal your truth through the pages of scriptures, Father God, speak to us loud and clear as we listen to you. Father, we thank you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, building in the, being in the wilderness, uh, one may find 
that it's more of a, of a puzzle uh, than a purpose. We can become overwhelmed, confused, uh, begin to question God's wisdom. And some of us, it, it's very, very emotionally drained. But I want you to know that when God allows you to go through the wilderness, you're not supposed just to go through it because wilderness is a place of preparation. Let, let me repeat that. Wilderness is a, pre- uh, is a place of preparation. In Deuteronomy 29, 5, 6 says, Yet the Lord says, During the 40 years that I have led you through the wilderness, your clothes did not wear out, nor did the sandals on your feet. You ate no bread, no drink, no wine, or other fermented drink. So I did this so that you may know that I am the Lord your God. I really believe one of the reasons why King Saul and King David One succeeded and one failed was because one actually had, or God allowed him to go through the place of that preparation. King Saul, anointed, in the Bible kind of describes him as tall, handsome, and muscular. And yet he didn't have a place of that preparation, the wilderness. And yet King David and when he was anointed by Samuel, and for 17 years, and God led him to that, the place of preparation and wilderness. And then really one of the reasons why I think David succeeded as the king of Israel, because he had that place of preparation. Secondly, even the wilderness is difficult, uncomfortable place. Praying for a quick exodus out of that wilderness is not wise, because... Wilderness is a place of separation. Not only is wilderness a, a, a place for preparation, but wilderness is a place for separation. It is in that wilderness that God wants us to separate us from the influence of the world, as well as the things and the people that we have learned to depend upon so that we can solely depend upon God. For those of you guys who are going through the wilderness, and there is somebody right now who is actually going through the same issues that I'm going through, wilderness is a place of preparation and separation. So, being in the wilderness for 40 years, the Israelites finally make their exit out. God parts the Jordan River. First, telling the priests to dip their feet while carrying the Ark of the Covenant in Joshua chapter 3. And leads them into a place, a city called Adam, where the Israelites camp at a place called Gilgar. And it was at this place, sort of a, their, their base of operations, waiting for their ultimate mission. God calling them to take the city of Jericho just a few miles away from this place called Gilgar. Now, before he did this, in, in Joshua chapter 5, God orders the people of Israelites to consecrate themselves, to get their hearts right before God. Now, God is telling the people of Israelites that, that the consecration is far more important than the actual war. 
So God calls Joshua to circumcise all the males because for 40 years in the wilderness, they have not practiced this covenant. And they also celebrate the feast of the Passover right here at this place called Gilgard. And Joshua chapter 5, 9 says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, so the place have been called Gilgar to this place. Now, do you guys know from this passage that Gilgar actually means to roll away? And it was at this place, God in a very, very personable way, consecrated the people. And those 40 years of slavery in Egypt He's going to roll away their past. And now God is telling his people that you are now my people once more. You belong to me. And you will now be the people that will occupy the new land that I have promised to your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so we move to Joshua chapter 6. And that's exactly where we're going to Focus upon our message today. So Joshua chapter 6, verse 1 through 5. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out. No one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with his kings and his fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry the trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout, then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up and everyone straight in. I want you to go back to verse 1. Verse 1 says, Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. You know, I imagine that, you know what? These people, the, the, the people of Jericho must have fortified their city so tightly, hearing of who God was that the Israelites worshipped. As they began to prepare for war, they have probably, right, probably fortified that city like Fort Knox. Now, do you guys know that Jericho is still the oldest continuously occupied city in the world today? And this ancient city of Jericho was built in such a way that they had a double wall. It wasn't just a a single wall, but it was actually a double wall fortification where the lower wall and the upper wall stood 41 and 32 feet. It wasn't just one wall, but it was actually a double wall with some of like kind of a, 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 a place, that, the separation, if you see the, the, the picture above. And the verse just claimed that they were tightly secured, Scripture says, where no one came in and no one went out. Now, Joshua... Leading in and listening to the heavenly strategy from God. And he's going, okay, God, just let me, listen, I'm listening. So what do you want me to do? So you want us to march around? Okay. And they're going to get a good look at our army. They're going to see how many people we have. But we won't do anything. We'll simply march around and just show them who we are. Okay, I get it. I got it. 
But the responses from the people on that tower of Jericho, I imagine, looking down upon the Israelites and going, what a bunch of fools. What are they doing? I can imagine the people on that castle tower looking and looking at the people just going in circles. What is this? What are they doing? Because the people of Israelites were following the beat of a different drum. So the Israelites began to march around the city. And it was about a nine-acre walk each day. And they did this for the next six days. And on the seventh day, on the seventh day, they marched around seven times as the seven priests bore the seven trumpets of ram's horn. And as the priests blew their seven trumpets, then it shall come to pass when you will make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet and all the people declare the great shout, and the Lord said, the wall of the city will fall flat down. The scripture just revealed to us that the wall fell outward, not inward. Because if you were to penetrate a walled city, you're going to push the walls inward. But the scripture says that the wall fell outward. And these mud bricks fell outward, creating a natural ramp so that Israelites could walk right into the city. And check this out. Not a single shot of arrow or firearms were fire that day, and they were able to take this great city, the city of Jericho. Now, here's the first principle. First principle is that what might be too hard for us, it is never too hard for God. What might be too hard for us, it is never too hard for God. I don't know if you guys, I know that Pastor Eric, who's not here, by the way, uh, who tore his ACL on Friday playing basketball with some young bucks. And he was telling us that finally his old age cat up to him, okay? And, and, and anyways, you know, if you guys listen to what Pastor Eric was kind of revealing to us, how, how God's hand... It is, is moving for us to exit of SDA into this 7900 Mountain Boulevard. And there was one thing that he revealed to us that, you know, some of you guys said, oh, yeah, whatever. See, we had a kind of a run-in with the state board. We didn't really kind of register with the state board. And that could have caused us maybe, you know what, not being able to occupy the 7900 Boulevard. But as Pastor Eric just revealed to us that, you know what, that was taken care of like within a day or something. You know, I shared this with my friend who actually works for the state board. And he said, you guys did what? You guys were to rectify that in one day? Because he himself knows that it takes about six to nine months What might be too hard for us, it is never too hard for God. 
Uh, Jeremiah 32, 17 says, O sovereign, O Lord, that you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. And I love this verse. Nothing is too hard for you. Nothing. Nothing is too hard for you. When they occupied the city of Jericho, God was teaching them, what might be too hard for you, it is so easy for me. The second lesson that we learned is that battles are fought with prayers and in faith. Battles are fought with prayers and in faith. You know, this military strategy that God gave to Joshua was not your typical modern-day warfare strategy. I mean, if you were to plan for a battle, right, you're supposed to shoot arrows, launch missiles, launch rocks, but march around the city, blowing ram's horn, and, and at the end, shouting, yay, yay. You know, I imagine uh, when the Israelites heard from Joshua, okay, this is what we're going to do. I, I imagine some of the Israelites, what do you want us to do? Now, remember that before that, they were consecrated, right? They were circumcised. All the men who were going to fight in this battle, they were circumcised. And, and you want us to do what? March around? And I imagine some people probably have argued, what is this going to solve? You know, um, sometimes when the walls are so high and thick and there is no way that we could actually jump over. When faced with adversaries and not realizing that a place of wilderness was a place of preparation, we are inclined to think prayer and faith in God. What is that going to do? You really think that prayer and faith is going to work. There is no way just marching around the city 13 times is going to solve this problem. But you know what? I believe that if, if the Israelites they're, they're relied upon their brute strength, or they relied upon Joshua's clever military tactics, produced for themselves their victory, they would have never realized that God's hand, God's mighty work was in their lives. Because they would think that we were the ones who accomplished this goal. But because God commands this unorthodox, unconventional method of taking the city, it was a way that reinforces us the importance of, okay, we need to pray. We need to have faith in God. We're going to trust him, and we're going to see his mighty hands in this cause. And there will be situations in our lives where God calls us that he will be putting us in a position where we have to completely depend upon him. So that we could see the mighty hand of work of God. And it wasn't us, but it was Him who was working in our lives.
it was August 27th. My, me, my wife, and Alice were at um, Living Hope um, Neighborhood Church and feeding the homeless, and we were done. And we got the news that my mom had a, had a heart attack, and she wasn't breathing, and they were taken into ICU. And, and I rushed home, and we packed up our bags, and, and we drove down to SoCal. It was about 7.30 at night when I, when I got into the ICU and I looked at my mom's condition. And all the doctors were saying that, you know what, um, I don't think your mom's going to wake up. I, I, I think you need to prepare uh, for the worse. Now, as I was driving, now I wasn't driving, I, my son was driving. And as I was driving down to SoCal, there was a prayer that I kept saying to myself, Lord, would you just give me just a few minutes? I lost my dad four years ago of a sudden heart attack, and I didn't get to say goodbye to my dad. It was abrupt. It was so sudden. So would you, Lord, give me just a few seconds just to say goodbye to my, my mom. And that was like seven hours of constant prayer. When I arrived at the ICU, and when I saw my mom and my doc, the doctors were saying that, you know what, you need to prepare for the worst. And I just kept crying out. Uh, I, I was praying outside the ICU. Uh, I was worshiping. I was just, just crying out. And the third day, um, they wanted to remove the tube so if she, to find out if she could actually breathe on her own. And I was there. And, you know, I have to admit that that incident, it, it kind of traumatized me because it, it was the most horrified scenery that I've ever seen. As my, my mom was gasping for air. And the only thing that, that I could do, I'm not a doctor. I don't know anything about being a doctor. You know, one of the things that, the reason that I didn't go to, you know, medical school was because I, I'm afraid of blood. I, 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 I can't even look my own arm when they take blood out. And the only thing I could do at that moment was just to keep on praying. Lord, would you just give me one, one second, and just to say that, you know what, Mom, thank you so very much. Fast forward, 12 days later, my mom not only woke up, she, she, she got out of the ICU, she went into what's called a DOU, right? I think it was like direct op- observation unit, it's one level of be- below the ICU, and she was able to come out of it, not only come out of it, but she was able to fully recuperate. Now, people have been asking me, how is your mom? My mom is out of the woods, and God miraculously saved her life, but she's not out of the forest. On Thursday, we have placed her in a hospice care. But that 12 days when she was in the ICU, the only thing that I could do was to pray. And I feel like, I feel like sometimes, as believers in Jesus Christ, the only thing that we could do, battles are best fought with prayers and faith. There's nothing we can do. 
There's nothing we can do but except to pray. And I think it's a great reminder for us as God says, listen, I I want you to march around the city six times. On the seventh day, I want you to march around seven times, but each time blowing your horns. And I want you to be shouting as loud as you could on the seventh and the seven times and see what I am going to do. Now, 12 days outside of the ICU, all I did was wail. I cried out to God. And you know what? And my mom, and you know, she's been there for more than 12 days. People in, in the ICU, DOU, at the people at that Fountain Valley Regional Hospital, they call us the, the, the religious couple, the religious son and daughter. Because every time that I visited my mom's room, the ICU, DOU, on a regular rooms, the first thing I did was just to play gospel music, hymnals, CCM, and we just worshiped. Many, many times, they, the nurses would find my mom just raising her arms. You know, yesterday, um, some of us got to witness uh, a kind of a celebration life of, of Gordon's dad. And as, as I was listening and as I saw some of the pictures, I became very emotional because, you know, it's something that I know that I'm going to be able to go through that in, 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 in whatever the capacity that God allows me to. But it's so amazing that, that in the midst of Gordon's dad's kind of dementia, the thing that he cried out was, hallelujah, amen. And the lesson that we learn here that battles are best fought with prayers and faith. But sometimes, you know what, it's really, really difficult, isn't it? It is really, really difficult to get out of way from God and say, you know what, Lord, you have the glory. Sometimes it's really, really hard for us to get out of the way and let God to do his work. Because it is only then that God is most glorified. It is at this moment of complete surrender that we could actually see the witness of God's mighty hand. So, so far, so good, right? Some of you guys, you've heard this story many, many times. There's nothing new. It's a familiar story. We've heard it many, many times in Sunday schools. And pastors, you know, the, 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 the battle of Jericho, it's one of those great stories that we hear. But you guys know when Moses died, God visits Joshua and tells him, I'm going to give that land to you that I promised to your forefathers, especially to Moses. God says to Joshua, I want you to remember what I turned in the wilderness for 40 years. God tells Joshua, remember the manna. Remember how I've led you by moving the clouds during the day and pillar of fire at night. When you were thirsty, remember what I had commanded Moses to do. So in Joshua chapter 1, he says, do not fear. Do not be discouraged. Do not be dismayed. By the way, I really believe there is a very, very thin line between faith and fear. I really believe there is a, there's a very, very thin line between faith and fear. 
You know, because at one moment, we could be the most spiritual high person, but in few moments, we could be worrying about because of some unforeseen circumstances. Isn't it true that sometimes you could be the most spiritually high person and within seconds, you could be the most fearful person of God? So God commands Joshua, do not fear, trust me, rely on me. And the first test was to take this great city of Jericho in a very, very unconventional way. Heavenly way. Now, some of you guys may think that this heavenly strategy that God was telling Joshua to do was very, very unorthodox, but actually, in actuality, it was very, very handcrafted, well-crafted, wonderful, heavenly design. Let me lay it out for you. Okay. Now, those of you guys think that just the people of Israelites were just going in circles for six days, on the seventh day, they were marching around the seventh. No, 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 that wasn't the design that God had taught us this heavenly design this heavenly march was very very well crafted let me tell you first on the very front line there were the armed men okay i tried to find a picture really depicted of what this march was but i couldn't so in the very very front line god says to joshua i I want you to put armed men And right behind them is the picture, the seven priests with the seven ram's horn blowing. And behind them were the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And then behind the priests, there were the rear guards. And then behind them were the rest of the people. So some of you guys would think that they just marched around, okay, whatever positions, whatever location. No, that wasn't the cause. There was a specific direction of how God wanted this line to be. And some theologians believed that not all the Israelites were marching at once at this precision. Why? Because there were so many people, so many Israelites, they actually took turns. They took shifts. But I want you to take a notice. And this is the thrust of the message that I'm going to give today is that I want you to notice where the Ark of the Covenant was. Where did God command the Ark of the Covenant to be placed? So if you read three more passages down in verse 8, when Joshua had spoken to the people, seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets. The Ark of the Covenant was at where? It was at the right smack in the middle of this line. Do you guys know that throughout the whole history of Israelites, the Ark of the Covenant was never once used as a weapon. The Ark of the Covenant was a scarce or sacred article that symbolized the very presence of God. But at this task, it was a reminder It was used as an important role in the process of taking down this fortified city. And that at the center of it all, where everybody could see it, not only the Israelites, but the people who are mocking the Israelites on top of the Jericho walls, could see and gaze upon where God had placed the Ark of the Covenant. 
You see, it was a reminder that they were to fix their eyes upon the Ark of the Covenant, the very presence of God. And I really believe it's a vital reminder for us today that God in all circumstances, whatever the situation that we're going through, whatever the hardship, whatever the wilderness, whatever the desert place experiences that we're going through, God is saying to us, keep your eyes upon me and only me. You know, for the past two and a half months, as we are transitioning in, out of SDA and into this 7900 Mountain Boulevard. By the way, when I first heard of the address, 7900 Mountain Boulevard, I knew this place was for us. Mountain Boulevard. And all of a sudden, God said to me, I want you to worship me as you lead your people out from the bottom and come up to Mount Zion. And you can see some of the stories. Do you remember Ashley Ross? When she gave us a prepare for a journey. You're going to leave. You're going to move. But do not be afraid. Now, this is before SDA gave us their 60-day notice. If you don't believe me, go back. And listen to what Ashley Ross challenged us. Not only that, but the franchise. Man, you know, but if we look back, And God is telling us, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed, do not be discouraged, because I am with you. God's hand was from the beginning. Now, you know what? I believe it started 29 years ago when we moved out of War Street. When we moved into this place 29 years ago, God was already preparing his exodus out of this place. September 25th, 2022. And all of a sudden, God began to say, you know what, Ben, what is worship? What is worship? And today, as I've titled my message, Moving Forward in Worship, and I feel like God is telling us, I want you to worship. What is worship? You know, before answering that, I want to ask you, what is the first two commandments that God gave before when they were met in Mount Sinai, when, when Moses went up and gave the Ten Commandments, what was the first and the second commandment that God gave to Moses? The first commandment was, do not have any other gods before me. The second command was, do not make any idols. If you actually break down the first and the second commandment, the first commandment is, you know what, it's exclusive allegiance to only God. The second commandment is that do not have other gods' representations. But sometimes I think, you know what, worship, we think worship is just singing or doing music or coming to church. Now, don't get me wrong. These are all examples of worship, but it's not what worship is. These are all expression of what worship is. And according to the Bible, worship is an activity of ultimate submission. Worship deals with our total allegiance, our love, our loyalty. It deals with our ultimate object of the highest esteem because it deals with our greatest desires. In fact, the Bible says the object of our worship is what actually controls us and leads us into what we do. 
It is what we look for in our greatest, greatest satisfactions. And this is what worship is. It, it, it's, 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 it's a great deal for God that he actually lives and worship and governs in our lives. You know, as you know that God made his people in, the, in his image, and he has hardwired us for worship, and that worship should be directed to him and to him alone. And you know, we enjoy many gifts that God gives us in all the creations, but we need to worship him alone because he is God. Because of the fall, you know, from that moment, it, it all went terribly wrong. And so God is calling his men and women of God to the original design that God had designed. And he's telling us to, I am to be worshipped alone. He demands exclusive allegiance. That's why he gave the first and the second commandment. Now, we come to the New Testament and we learn in Mark chapter 12, what is the greatest commandment? What is it? It's to love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. In another word, worship me alone. And, and this theme goes from, from Genesis to all the way to Revelations. And he talks about this new heaven and new earth. And still people are worshiping God up in heaven. And that's exactly what we're going to be doing in heaven. And this is what God wants his children to learn as he prepared and separated them for 40 years that I want you to worship me alone. I have a, I have a little trivia for you before I go into, we go into um, time of prayer. And I need you to think really, really carefully about this because I have never seen anybody get this trivia correct. Anybody know why God led the people of Israelites out of Egypt? Just answer to yourself. Why did God lead the people of Israelites out of Egypt? And most people say it's because they heard the outcry in Exodus chapter 2. The people of God were saying, please save us from this slavery. Yes, God heard their cries. But do you guys know the real reason why God made the people of Israelites out of Egypt? The answer is found in Exodus chapter 29 verse 2046. And this is what our Lord says to us. They will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt so that I may dwell among them to know that I am their God. Do you know what the desire of God is? His desire is to dwell among us. God is saying, I put you as number one, but would you put me as number one also? You know, Jeremiah chapter 2, if you go, God says to Jeremiah, do you know there was a period of time 
where I found my people to be in utter obedience. And I loved that 40 years in the wilderness. And God is saying to the people of Israel, I enjoyed, I enjoyed the relationship that they were in the wilderness for 40 years. I enjoy that more than any other era. Why? Because in that 40 years, at least the people of God were in, in, in obedience. They were listening. They were in focus. Why? Because they were in wilderness. In the wilderness, it's a place of separation and planning. And then we're going through that wilderness. Don't just go through it. Or don't just say, you know what, I want this wilderness experience to end because of the hardship. Pam asked me, how are you doing? And it was because of Pam and some of the people on the ministry, prayer ministry team that I was able to kind of be strengthened. And that's why a community, being connected to community is very, very important. How are you doing? And I told Pam, I said, you know what, Pam, I am physically, emotionally, I am very, very tired. But Pam, I am spiritually awakened. That 12 days, that 12 days that I was in the ICU, I was more spiritually alert than I have been in a long time. Because I have put my God first. And I feel like God is asking us this morning, as we move into the 7900 Mountain Boulevard, would you put me first? You know, um, there was a conversation between Terry and my wife. And, and Terry was saying, you know what, there's a lot of these kind of families going through difficulties right now. And we know it. And you know some people. But I feel like God is telling us, in the midst of all the circumstances, would you still put me first? Would you worship me? Would you look, would you place the Ark of the Covenant in the middle of your life? And I love the song this morning. Lord, I'm an open space. My heart is an open space. Would you come? So as the worship team comes, I want you to gather around the people. I know that this is very, very, I, I missed the first two, right? And, and, and I don't really know what to make of it. But would you just, if you're uncomfortable, it's fine. Just, just pray by yourself. That's fine. But if you know of a person right now next to you that, that is going through some certain difficulties, would you just reach out? Just, would you pray two or three? But once again, if you are uncomfortable with that, that's fine. But I want us to pray. I want us to pray, have a time of prayer as we, you know what, celebrate the second to the last day of here at SDA. So would you just kind of stand up? You don't have to stand up if you don't want to, but just, just if you want to go to somebody next to you, so, so just, just go. Just, just, just reach out. Would you just do that? Father God, we just thank you so very much. 
Lord, we are an open space. My heart is an open space. My life is an open space. Father God, I know that, Lord, um, rain doesn't really kind of cater toward my, my catering, but yet, Father God, I feel like the rain is washing away, Father God. It's filling those areas of my life, Father God, that is so of needed, Father God. I know that the, the physical lane right, right now is giving resources, nutrients, Father God, to the grass, the fields, the, the trees. And I feel like the spiritual, Father God, rain that you're pouring down right now at this place, Father God, I feel like I'm being really replenished. Father God, I ask in the name of Jesus, would you just allow, Father God, from top to bottom, Father God, would you just touch. Father God, right now, those of us who are going through a wilderness experience, Father God, especially going through illnesses of our parents, Father God, just, just recently, Father God, this week, we heard of, Father God, that, that one of our congregation members lost her dad. Father God, what a tragedy, Father God. And Lord, I know, I know that feeling because, Father God, as I cried out to you that seven hours down into SoCal, Father God, I cried out to you saying that, Lord, would you just give me one second, just one moment that I could really relate, Father God, that how much my mom was. And yet, Father God, sometimes we missed in our busyness, Father God, in our, in our, in our hectic schedules, Father God, we really missed the, the value, the importance of, Father God, what really is important in our lives, Father God. And Father God, my heart goes out. My heart goes out to those people, Father God, who are going through their father, father illnesses, Father God. This morning, Father God, we pray for Carissa, Father God, who just found out that, Lord, she just didn't wake up. Didn't wake up, Father God, because there was a blood clot, Father God, in her head. And I ask in the name of Jesus, Father God, would you just touch there's nothing, Father God, we're not doctors. Even the doctors, the most sophisticated, Father God, most, Father God, most gifted doctors sometimes, Father God, cannot. And yet, Father God, you touch, teach us this morning that, Father God, our battles are fought with prayers and in faith. And, Father God, we release that faith this morning. We release that faith, Father God, because sometimes, Father God, faith and fear, there's a very, very thin line. Sometimes we could be the most spiritual beings, and yet, Father God, we, as we walk out, as we just, Father God, listen to, Father God, some of the things that the world says, Father God, and some of the things, Father God, that it comes in waves. I feel like, Father God, right now, in the midst of this transitional, this moving forward, Father Lord, I feel like, Father God, with all the wilderness experiences, you're telling us, Father God, that, Lord, would you with us, Father God, place our lives in the middle of our lives, Father God. Father God, in, in, from the beginning, Father God, that your hand was in this move. Father God, I believe that it, it started 29 years ago, Father God, as we moved from outward from War Street into this place, Father God, you were preparing for us, Father God, for this move. And Father Lord, sometimes we wonder, are you in the midst? Are, are you next to me? Are, are you here? And Father God, I know sometimes, Father God, in the midst of that wilderness experiences, Father God, it's more of a puzzle than, than, than purpose, Father God. Sometimes we realize, where are you, God, in the midst of all this? And yet, you're just kind of encouraging and just allowing us to say, no, I am in the midst. And in one of those most incredible and most difficult times, you're saying to us, I have carried you. And I'm carrying you now. And Father God, this morning, we just want to give you all that accolades. We want to give you the glory, the honor. It, it, it was a very unconventional, unorthodox, heavenly strategy. And yet, Father Lord, you give to us, Father God, to trust you. 
Father God, sometimes when we do it our own strength and when we do it out of our own brute, tactical, envisionaries, Father God, and yet, Father God, sometimes we realize it is us that is going to conquer the city of Jericho. And yet, Father Lord, you showed us great deals, great power. And Father God, I just pray this morning as we move move into this place, move into 7900 Mountain Boulevards, Father God, you're telling us, would you worship? Will we worship you in spirit and truth? And we will worship just you and you alone. And Father God, I pray, help us to remember, help us in those obedience, Father God, and help us, Father God, to not be afraid, to not be discouraged, dismayed, because you are in the midst. Father God, would you just touch us? Touch those people, Father God, right now that, that are going through that wilderness experiences. And Father Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that Father God, help us to look to you who is in the middle and the center of our lives.